Burning Down the Church You're preparing for a marriage, not just a wedding. I'd say you usually met with a stare of rebuff from an engaged couple. So many brides, including myself, have got caught up in the details of an event. Stressed out about organza colors, floral art, platinum versus silver, and font sizes, the bride, and sometimes the groom, can easily miss out on the party they've planned for themselves. I have found that with events or people, we are often pregnant with presumptions that can easily give birth to misunderstandings, disappointments, and even resentments. My wedding was a homemade affair. My father was generous, giving me a set amount to pay for costs. However, I had a Southern Belle-style wedding, which meant several hundred people to invite. I had committed to being debt-free, which stretched every dollar to its limit. For a remedy, I solicited friends to help and used my research skills to find the best deals in Texas. I ordered wholesale flowers for centerpieces and boutonnieres, found a new catering business keen to advertise at a large wedding for the food and cakes, and personally treasure hunted through sales months prior for the reception decorations. I designed my own invitations topped off with a metallic gold fabric bow and set up a team to fold and stuff all 400 of them. The 16 total bridesmaids and groomsmen, 14 members in the house party, six-piece musical accompaniment, two flower girls, and one ring bearer filled the stage as my cathedral-style wedding gown train floated down the aisle. The ceremony lasted for over an hour. We had written our own vows, in addition to the traditional ones, and added a bit of liturgy, as was the practice of Michael's upbringing. I remember having to awkwardly run to the toilet a few minutes prior to walking down the aisle, my father trying to keep from laughing or crying a full canister of emotion. Minutes later, he stood a proud peacock in black and white after agreeing that he was giving this woman to marry the blonde-headed man next to her. Standing back in my mind, I determined to keep my focus and capture every moment. I absorbed the scene painted in my imagination beforehand, breathing in the aroma of the burgundy-tipped white roses held in my satin-gloved fingers. I looked at the familiar faces and soaked up the swirling tunes of favorite melodies. The preacher began a small exhortation to the guests, during which I noticed irregular movement out of the corner of my eye. Alarmed, I looked at the best man, who was confident and reassuring. He winked at me and mouthed, Don't worry, we'll take care of it. He silently signaled another groomsman who casually left his place, as if rehearsed, and went to the small eruption at the back of the stage. My unity candles were on fire. Many of my friends used the tradition of a unity candle, two lit tapers that were used to light a larger candle in the middle, as part of a symbolic act of two becoming one. I had eagerly garnished them with lace, which made them look more attractive. It hadn't registered, however, that the embellishment would be highly flammable. The service had been in progress for 20 minutes, which gave sufficient time for the tapers to grow into fires. My pupils grew wide as I clenched my flowers and watched the first groomsmen take the glowing torch of a candle and extinguish the flame on the other side of the church. 
A few minutes later, another groomsman calmly walked to the back and took the other taper, huffing and puffing out the flames with more aggression. It was a near disaster because the flames were about to jump onto foliage that covered the minuscule table. Had the groomsmen waited just one more minute, the hanging plants as well as the floor underneath would have erupted into a roaring inferno. My wedding coordinator, one of the most prepared women I know, dug out an extra pair of tapers from nowhere, replacing the missing ones, and sashayed her way back to her seat. By the time we got to that part of the celebration, there was no evidence of the near catastrophe. Looking back, I'm actually sad that I don't have any photos of the fire portion of the event. It certainly made my wedding more amusing. Expectations have everything to do with things like this. If I had expected to not have any glitches, such as uncomfortable family dynamics or awkward unplanned events like the fire, then I would have encountered severe disappointment. But after months of preparing for a one-weekend event, I heeded my own advice, sought to enjoy myself, and knew things would not go the way I planned them to. Besides, during weddings at least, it's the imperfections that make the party so much more entertaining to tell about in later years, and it's those things that would make my children laugh later on. After we arrived back from our honeymoon, Michael and I took several days to put all our wedding gifts to use in our house. In the bedroom of our small flat, I saw an enormous cockroach crawling up the wall. Insects don't really bother me, except for large spiders, but I thought it would be a great manly task to ask for a husband's help on squashing the detestable creature. For my British friends, who really have only encountered slugs, bumblebees, and the occasional meandering ant, a tree roach is an armored brick-brown German-fested creature, and our house was teeming with them. Our cheap sprays and powders never got rid of them. And those things can be at least an inch long, sometimes longer, and even fly when provoked. They are evil. Pure evil. Mr. Roach, however, didn't scare me because he was fat and meaty, so spotting the bug as I hung the new curtains, I called to Michael. Sweetheart, could you come here? Can you, um, do me a favor? Yeah, what do you need? Uh, can you get that bug for me? I looked at Michael, and he looked at me with an arched brow. His face turned pale and pasty, as if I'd asked him to butcher a dog. Get that roach? Michael slowly backed out of the room as I followed him, puzzled at the behavior. In the end, I got a wad of kitchen roll and smashed the roach myself. After Michael calmed down from his near panic attack, he told me of his grave fear of tree roaches due to childhood experiences. I had placed what I considered to be a normal expectation on him. Fortunately, I listened to his perspective, averting my disappointment when he failed to meet the assumption that men like to show off their manhood by killing bugs. This wasn't the case in another situation the first year of our marriage. Our tiny flat didn't have a dishwasher, at least not an electric one. 
The washing up after meals became a dreaded emotional tug of war that heightened with each miscommunication and failure to meet expectations. After the newly married politeness wore off, I realized that my husband wasn't a natural at noticing mess. In fact, it was an effort for him to even see dirt. Years later, we took a personality test. I scored higher on the quote-unquote sensory category, which means that I can take information in through my five senses. I'm a pro at organizing, and I notice every speck of dirt that needs to be cleaned. On the other hand, my husband felt justified after achieving a high score in the intuitive section. Apparently, intuitive people perceive all the weird undercurrents happening with individuals in the room, but normally miss the crumpled, smelly socks on the floor. Anyhow, this was especially true after I'd made a simple meal or after a day's worth of cups and plates began to fossilize in the sink. When I asked, most of the time, he would cheerfully do the dishwashing chore, but sometimes he just forgot. Then he would forget again. By the second time, I forgot, came around. My expectations became an invisible noose around his neck, or mine, slowly sucking the air out of the room. Usually, this suffocation would hit me right before an evening meal, as I made another dinner for both of us. I can't stand working in a dirty kitchen. The arrow-piercing thoughts would penetrate. He forgot! He can't remember the stupid dishes. He doesn't really love me. He thinks I'm his maid and his cook. The thoughts escalated and feelings as I climbed the ladder of disappointment. I would become full of emotion, anger that manifested in irrational tears, slicing him with my words when he walked in from work. This went on for months until it took only a few left dishes to cause the same unjustified response. It wasn't um, exactly very healthy on my part. One day, after reading an article on the effects of detrimental expectations, I realized I had a secret chest full of them from my childhood. In my heart, I let go and went with some humility to ask for forgiveness from Michael. <laughs> he was sweet in his response, apologizing for his weakness and understanding. But here is the strange thing. Something changed in that exchange of apologies when I realized how much I've been holding on to those expectations. All of a sudden, I had a lot more graciousness towards Michael when he did make a mistake in my eyes. And then, for some reason, he seemed to remember and even take the initiative to do things like the dishes. It's been years since then, and now he loves to surprise me. And that's motivated me to do the same for him. One of my favorite authors, Anne Lamont, says, Expectations are resentments under construction. I agree, at least with those unhealthy subconscious ones, which I tend to carry. It's those that slowly erode a relationship. And it's those I find the hardest to let go 